0: Dear Mystery Bible On podcast listeners, you all are the greatest podcast audience in the world. We have a new episode for you, episode 22, and I'm going to go ahead and say upfront that this episode did not go as planned. In addition to a last minute scheduling change, we started on the difficult topic of spiritual warfare. And I think we encountered some of it as we were recording this episode because partway through we had a total system failure and my computer in particular completely locked up to a degree that I haven't seen in a long time. We had to do cold reboots and try to salvage as much of the audio as we could and stitch it back together in a way that hopefully makes some sense. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize up front for some of the repetition you may hear because as we were recording and conversing, we were not sure specifically what had made it onto the recorded tracks and what had not. I hope that the timing comes through okay and that you're not too distracted by the editing we had to do in post-production. Notwithstanding some of the technical issues we had and some of the warfare we faced in getting this recorded, then we hope that you enjoy this episode 22 of the Mystery Bible on Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, please do share Mystery Bible On with your friends and frenemies. Now, let's get into the conversation. be speaking to you. We are looking forward to recording tonight. We had a little bit of a last-minute change of plans, but we felt led to cover a topic that's been kicked around some in our forum. For those of you who are not part of the Telegram thread for Mystery Bible On, you should be. If you're not sure how to join that, then look at the link that I'm putting in the show notes. You can click on it. If you don't have the Telegram app, feel free to download it. It's just a messaging app. It's not going to spam your phone or anything like that. But that's where we have dozens of lovely people who like to talk about the episodes, ask questions. We get pretty interactive there and have some uh, friendly debates. And it's been pretty active lately. So we appreciate that. There's no charge. You don't have to be a member or anything. We're just not that cool yet. And we don't want any barriers to entry for any of you. But one of the topics that came up recently was broadly in the arena of spiritual warfare and some books that have come out with regard to the return of certain dark spiritual forces and even specific old gods. And we've been doing some reading on that front based on some uh, upcoming hopes we have for some guest authors that we'd like to be able to interview. And so we realized that this is something that we should start talking about to kind of prep all of you for some of those uh, deeper dives that we anticipate doing. The other thing we want to talk about tonight is the situation in Israel. Uh, we're recording this on the evening of October 18th. That's a fast moving situation, given our topics and just what's going on in the world. And since our last episode was on current events and, and, there, and that situation hadn't arisen yet, and that was just a couple of weeks ago. So in the last week or 10 days, there's been a lot of development in the world and we wanted to make sure we covered that a little bit. So thank you for joining us for this episode. We'll talk a little bit about current events and then we'll get into spiritual forces, Uh, history of spiritual forces and some spiritual warfare intro level stuff. So I want to start by handing the microphone over to Brian. Brian, I know you have done a little bit of keeping up with some of the history of the situation in Israel. I don't think we can do a better job than a lot of others have done. I just want to give your thoughts for our audience on the Israel-Palestine conflict. It's not a typical war. There's a lot of hard elements about this feel free to share whatever you like then we'll give dan a chance i may have a few words to share and then we'll move on to our next topics
1: all right well obviously this this whole situation has been going on for a long long time and there's a lot of information out there that is not true like we're seeing tons of protests all around mostly on college campuses related to they're protesting israel and You know pro-palestine kind of a thing and there's lots of slogans about free palestine and stop the genocide and all of these kinds of things but when you look at the the data and the history of what's actually taken place that's not the kind of a picture that's actually painted what's funny about it is back in 135 ad or ce if you have adopted the new naming scheme for bc and ad it was the last great revolt of the Jews in Israel against the Romans. And they'd kind of had their own country. They'd been left alone for about five years and they were kind of r- ruling themselves at this point. And then they made a concerted effort to break free from, from the Roman empire and Rome expended a lot of resources to put that down. And the Romans named, renamed the area, it was called Judea, and then they renamed it to uh, Palestine and they did it as a snub to the people that were there and so this area has been called palestine for a long time but there's never been a palestinian country per se and there was not a historical palestinian people there they were jews and then different arab groups moved in over time and so that's part of that's part of the problem and israel was trying to become a country and in the late 1800s early 1900s they kept trying to figure out ways to to do things and the british were in charge of this area and they kind of split things up and they are the ones that made decisions about who owned the temple mount and who didn't own the temple mount and they did all kinds of frankly odd decisions that they made at the time in terms of how they were splitting this area up but what you find is that there's been a number of conflicts between Israel and their Arab neighbors over there. And like in 1967, there was the six day war and all of the neighboring countries, basically they were going to attack Israel and they were, and they were gearing up their weapons. And so Israel did a preemptive strike because they knew this was coming and they conquered everything. All, they almost got all the way to Cairo And in a pattern, once they did that, they didn't try to keep any of that land. They gave it all back and they just kept the spot that they wanted. And there's been a number of other conflicts over the years in the 80s and 70s. And Israel always did the same thing. They would kind of give back all of these military gains that they would make and give up the land. And there've been a lot of peace talks, like when they brought the head of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, Yasser Arafat, brought him out of retirement. And the current prime minister of Israel at the time, they basically said yes to every single concession that was asked of them. Like, whatever whatever they wanted, they said, yep, you can have it, you can have it, you can have it, you can have it. We just, We just want our little slice here and we want to be left alone. And even though they gave all of the concessions that were asked the plo still basically stormed away from the table and started attacking israel again and there have been a bunch of international groups that have come in and tried to do peace talks and negotiations and what we found is israel will give their concessions up and then the the plo or whoever is in charge of the palestinian authority at that point they don't abide by any of the things that were asked of them. and they continue to, you know, launch rocket attacks against Israel and um, continue to do terrorism essentially against that state. And Israel doesn't really want to have troops all over the place trying to police different areas. So that's why they continually give back this land because they they don't really want to run it. And recently, what's happened is, there is a proxy war going on between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And so when president Trump, they did a negotiation and it was called the Abraham Accords. And you had the UAE and um, a few other countries that are known as kind of proxies for Saudi Arabia, because you have Sunni Muslims and, and uh, I'm blanking on that. The other shiite muslims and so these are the two groups iran represents one and saudi arabia represents the other one and the countries the arab countries have decided and made concessions and actually have made peace treaties now with israel saying israel's not the enemy they're not trying to do anything to our countries they're leaving us alone but iran is the enemy So that's why this Abraham Accords, they made a peace deal between these Arab countries and Israel so that they could kind of create kind of a NATO, a version of NATO against Iran. And Iran is doing, they're they're funding Hamas right now, and they've funded multiple terrorist groups. They're funding terrorist groups in Syria, and they're constantly, their stated goal is to wipe Israel off the map as well as the United States and you can you can find english translations of their um excuse me of speeches by the their their religious leaders and they continually say these same things over and over and over again that's their stated goal they don't want peace they want to get rid of israel 100 and so now you have this area in conflict right now you have the gaza strip it's been in conflict for a long time there are very few if any jews living in that whole area and they have ceded control to whatever group gets elected and currently it's hamas and they aren't going in there and, and and shooting people and they they aren't taking military aggression until they get attacked and this latest one they drove i think it was 10 different tractor type vehicles into Israel and over a thousand troops went in there and they shot lots of rockets, uh, into that area. And as a side note, it's interesting to me that one of the best intelligence agencies on the planet is the Israeli Mossad and we work closely with them as the United States. But for some reason they didn't realize that this was going to happen and that these guys were able to organize and get these troops together and these vehicles to make this attack and the famed iron dome defense system that Israel has didn't catch. Normally they catch 80 to 90% of any missiles. They get shot down before they ever touch down and a bunch more than that, a much higher percentage got through in this particular case. So that that's a side kind of, you know, shake your head or scratch your head and go, I, "How did that happen? How did they not know that this was gonna, this is gonna take place?" But, but to me, the big thing is that Israel has continued to win win land through conflicts when they were attacked, and then they give it all back, and they just kind of want to stay where they are and haven't tried to expand their their uh, their places. And there's even a part of the problem in this area is. When the british came in well after they were gone then the jordanians they had part of it and and different arab countries and they they went in and they took all of the land that was owned in this particular time it was a bunch of israeli settlements and they took all of the deeds and everything and they just took them and gave them to new people coming in except some of them got lost in terms of their deeding and whatever and so when Israel went in there, anyone who didn't have actual clear title to the to their residences and their homes, they made them leave. And the people that did still have the original titles to those homes wanted to move back in and get their property back. But anyone who was there and had a title, didn't matter if they were Jewish or Arab or anything else, they just allowed them to stay there. And their tactics have been well, when, when I look at it, you know, I was in the military and I know what our military strategies have been in, in different places. And in most countries, they, we all do the same thing. If we decide we're going to go in somewhere, we use overwhelming force and we try to limit civilian casualties. But at the same time, we know that that's sometimes a fact of it. And in the Western world and in, in countries that are what we would call first world countries, we don't target civilians and we don't put military assets inside of apartment buildings and hospitals but hamas on the other hand they do fight that way and most terrorist groups do fight that way and they use civilians that don't want to be in conflict they use them as um, shields and so what israel does is they decide that there's a building that has hamas assets in it and they decide they want to bomb it so what they do is They have literally called the building managers and told them that they need to evacuate because they're going to bomb this building. And they have a two, they have one kind of a bomb that they launch and it's basically just a shock and it doesn't destroy anything, but it lets the people know that they need to get out and and they give them time. And they also have been dropping millions of leaflets telling people you need to leave this area, you need to evacuate and what hamas has done and this is all this is all video uh footage that proves all of this this isn't just you know some propaganda these are people on the ground that are posting on TikTok and other social media platforms uh hamas has cut power lines and water lines themselves there was a bunch of cars trying to leave an area and they blew up the road and blew up a bunch of the cars that were trying to to flee and get out of the area. And they're trying to keep the civilians in place because from their perspective, it's a small price to pay if they can make the world think that they're just being destroyed. And you know, they just, they really don't care about human life. And I saw a TikTok video that was posted by a former Israeli defense forces Uh, Commander, and she, she, she couldn't believe that you know Israel didn't know that this was gonna, gonna happen, for one thing, but another one was a recording of an Israeli Defense Forces officer who was talking to a building manager of a building, trying to get them to, to evacuate, and the recording, the building manager basically says, "No, we don't want to leave. We're not going to leave," and and the guy says, "But." there's children and women and civilians and you know you guys need to leave because Hamas is in the basement and and we we're we're going to destroy this building and the guy literally told the Israeli Defense Force officer that they weren't going to leave and if they bombed it then I guess it would just look good on the media and for us to hear something like that it's just it blows me away that someone would actually say something like that, that I'm going to on purpose sacrifice these people because I want it to play a certain way on the international media. And now these same, um, protests that are happening in the United States, there've been people that have gone in and they've interviewed protesters and they bring up questions like, okay, what about the Israeli babies that have actually been beheaded? and women have been raped and, uh, families have been burned alive together. What, what about those things? Are you, you thinking that that that's a good thing that Hamas should be doing? And the answer is always, Oh, that's been proven that that's all, that's all propaganda by Israel. None of it's real. It's all false. And, you know, these are Americans living on American soil, going to American universities who are basically rooting for a terrorist organization to, uh, be able to get away with horribly evil acts and you know no country is perfect and i'm not saying israel's perfect either and they've made mistakes of themselves over the years but it seems that no matter what the conflict is israel is the only modern country in the world that is not allowed to win anything they always the media is now talking about what's called a proportional response so make sure that Israel just doesn't go overboard with this, make sure that they have a proportional response to what's been done. And the question, um, Douglas Murray gave a couple of talks related to this, uh, he's a British commentator and he he was really diving in on that and he, he basically made a comment, he's like, so proportional response would mean that, what, they need to go find a similarly sized music festival if if Palestinians even have music festivals, and and bomb it and they need to kill the exact same number of babies and kill the exact same number of families and you know all of these things it's, it's just ridiculous Be- like when we had the twin tower bombings in you know 9 11 no one was calling for us to have a proportional response they were expecting us to go destroy our enemies and every country that gets attacked, that's what they expect. You look at the Ukraine conflict that's going on right now. No one is expecting Ukraine to have a proportionate response. They they are expecting them to do everything they can to win win the conflict, but for some reason Israel doesn't get that pass by the world community. It was about twenty four hours after it started when when media started calling for them to, you know, be uh be concerned with proportionality. So it's, it's it's crazy. Historically, there's a lot of good information about what's actually happened in the past and, and the kind of responses Israel's had in the past and, and who has attacked them and why and, and all of that. So I challenge people to go out and look for that stuff and, and figure it out. Um, but from a historical perspective, I think Israel has been probably one of the most measured groups uh, or as a nation. Of, of anyone that I know of and we've constantly got wars and conflicts going on on this planet. So there's lots of other examples of, of warfare and Israel is going above and beyond trying not to hurt civilians and, and, and those sort of things. So you guys jump in with anything yeah. you want to say.
2: Well, so one thing it would be just like the, the, so what, like, what can we do? And I would encourage everybody right now to be praying for Israel also praying for um people in in palestine right the people in the gaza strip there's they're not all terrorists there's christians who live in there and it would be a horrible place to be right now Uh, you have you know your own local government basically holding you hostage so that you can be martyred so that they can advance their agenda and so i you know just pray for the whole situation. Um, it's also just something to be aware. Like, I mean, who knows? Maybe this is something that will be resolved in a few weeks. You know, maybe it leads into uh, World War III and, and and keeps moving all this stuff along, like that we've been talking about in in this podcast for the last year. So, um, I mean, it's a pretty pretty substantial uh, attack that happened, and. And, and so it's not going to be some something that just blows over. Some There's going to be some resolution to it, um, whether that resolution is done soon or it drags on and, and starts involving more and more countries and gets bigger and bigger. Um, who knows? But, you know, I would definitely encourage everybody to be praying about it.
1: Especially the hostages, because there are American hostages and Israeli hostages and some other nationalities that are being held hostage right now by Hamas. And Hamas has started to call for a little bit of a hey, maybe, you know, maybe we don't want to do this. Um so, you know, pray that they would release the hostages and then have have a conversation. Um, but it's hard to have a conversation with a group that solely exists to erase a people group from the earth so that's that's part of the problem is that we can't apply the normal kinds of negotiating strategies and logic that we use in the first world with all of our allies and and, and european countries and everything else um, to terrorist groups and that's why you know the american military strategy forever has been you don't negotiate with terrorists now some of our presidents don't do that. But generally that's kind of been our stance is don't negotiate with terrorists, but we, we have to somehow, you know, recognize them as a quote unquote legitimate government, but a government yeah. whose stated aim is destruction of a whole people. That's, that's hard to stomach. And it's hard to take them, take them at their word or take them seriously when it comes to, to talking about peace.
2: Right. Cause a lot of this stuff is fueled by, just hatred, and and just pure evil, and so you know that's it's kind of outside of how we normally think of the world works. Um, you know, some of the stuff we'll get into with the other topics tonight, we'll kind of see that evil very much is still at work, and this situation is in Israel is certainly a big part of where you see uh, evil very much at work in the world.
0: This is a particularly interesting topic and a particularly difficult topic because it's so unbelievably divisive. And I think part of the reason why it's so divisive is because there's been a clear agenda of mainstream media to cultivate as much outrage and side taking as possible and and it's worked and so in the the twitter sphere and the the public dialogue sphere there's this embittered debate of you know whose side are you on how dare you take israel's side how dare you take a palestine's side and when, when the reality is it's a it's an extremely complex situation the vast 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 majority of americans have very little appreciation for the complexity and the and and how this situation works. Israel is not the United States. They have different problems than the United States. Um, the Middle East is not North America. It's a completely different region with a completely different history and in many ways a very different culture. Uh, and and I've I've spent time in Israel and I don't claim at all to have a deep understanding of the situation there. Uh, it's it's a super personal situation for a lot of people there. So one thing that uh, for Americans, um, anybody in our audience who just hasn't thought a lot about Israel, doesn't have a huge concept of it. One thing to keep in mind is it's a very tiny country geographically. I, you could literally run from side to side in like half a day. It's not that long. Or we'll just but you could drive across it in an hour. Is another way of putting it for people who don't, well, it's don't like, like running slightly
1: off. slightly. Slightly bigger than New Jersey, I think.
0: Yeah, it's so the comparison end to end. It's I don't know over, a little over a hundred miles, and side to side, it's like sixty miles. It's not big. Yeah, <laughs> you can you can drive from end to end on the country in, in a couple of hours. Uh, It's a first world country. Uh, it's a, it's a lovely country. Um, the people are wonderful, and and, and it's not just. Jews that live in Israel. I think it's around 20% of the population is Muslim. Um, and if, and yes, if you,
1: 20% of the population, well, is Arab. Yeah, is 20% Arab. of the yeah. population is Arab. Yeah, yes.
0: Arab, which is not the same thing as Muslim. And so don't end up. And this stuff is so complicated. Like I'm, I'm, and I have a different monologue running in my head of every single thing I'm saying and knowing that there's somebody somewhere who can take exception with it because, you know, it, it's, all of these things are very complex. And there's complexities that we Americans don't appreciate and don't understand. So when I was in Israel, for example, one of the things that you notice is almost any public place you go, any area any, you know, nice developed area where you're going to a nice restaurant, it was very common to see a plaque outside commemorating the people who were killed there by some bombing in, you know, nineteen ninety, whatever. Every, it, the whole country is extremely well connected and it's not a very big country the, the joke there and it's true is everybody is you know two degrees of separation from the prime minister partly because everybody is in the military at some point men and women all serve a couple of years in the military so it's a very highly integrated country it's a very flat society so there is no high classist system there your taxi driver may also be a submarine colonel when you are in israel that's that's normal and he probably has a roommate who went to college with the prime minister's son or something, it's just a very flat society. So in that sense, this stuff is really personal because you and I talk about a terrorist attack in the US but the odds of us having a direct personal intimate connection with a victim of that terrorist attack are quite low, whereas in Israel they're quite high. And I'm setting I'm just talking on the Israeli side. I know this is also true of Palestine, et cetera. So then you have this situation where there's this, and I want to say this sensitively, but there's this manufactured nation of Palestine, which is something of a refugee nation in some ways, and so is Israel in its own way, that has been placed under control of a terrorist group called Hamas that cares nothing at all for the individual people in Gaza. Gaza is the region in Israel uh, towards the Mediterranean Sea where you have this Palestinian nation and there's a wall that controls the, the ingress and egress. And the reason there's a wall is because there were so many terrorist attacks before there was a wall. Uh, and so people say, oh, well, how horrible they built a wall. It, it stopped a lot of bloodshed for a long time. So you have this- Well, the other thing- Go ahead
1: you have to realize is you go go look at the border of Palestine with Egypt it has a huge double layered wall they are letting zero Palestinian people into Israel I mean uh, Egypt it's completely closed off it has uh, a big stone wall and it also has a razor wire wall And they have mines and like the whole thing. It's a completely militarized border with Palestine. And they have let zero people through since this thing started. Yeah. So it's not just, it's like you just focus on, well, Israel's, you know, the the people that are pro-Palestinian are basically saying Israel is evil and they're going to ignore all the other stuff.
0: Right. That Egypt treats Palestine, or treats Gaza the exact same way.
1: Yeah. So... There's there's more things to look at. Yeah. so it
0: it's, So you, you, the, the situation for those who aren't real familiar with it is you have Israel, which is something of a refugee nation, but has its extremely deep roots in the area. Then you have this manufactured nation, and I say that as kindly as I can, but it is of, of Palestine, which is in the Gaza portion of Israel, which is surrounded for the most part by Israeli land. There's a wall that was built, I think in 1994, and the wall was built because of the amount of terrorist activity and this is not to say that everybody lives in gaza as a terrorist or even palestinians are terrorists i want to make it really clear that the palestinian population has been manipulated and used by terrorist groups and it's it's kind of like saying you know the North Korean, it's its a little bit like North Korea, if you just think of North Korea versus South Korea. Well, the North Korean people as a whole have just been extremely manipulated and used by these very cruel and tyrannical rulers. And they really have a twisted idea of what's going on in South Korea and are very lied to and, and are not well taken care of and are very abused by their leaders. So that's a, a somewhat similar proxy with the uh, Palestinian people in Gaza. So, and there's no reason, it was interesting when I was in Jerusalem. I went. I like to go for a run when I'm in a city. I got extremely lost in Jerusalem. Um, you think you know your way around because you can see Old Jerusalem Wall, but uh, those streets are confusing. So it turned into a very long run, and I was trying to find my way back to this hotel. And I would stop and ask people, "Hey, how do I get back to such and such a section of the city?" And they would tell me. And the funny thing was, there were Arab sections of the city, and there were Jewish sections. And all the very friendly and wonderful Arab people warned me not to go into the Jewish sections because they were dangerous. And then all the Jewish people in the Jewish sections warned me not to go into the Arab sections because they were dangerous. And the reality was, everybody was very nice, and I never felt unsafe in the least. So, it's it's just it's this divisive, you know, level of 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 propaganda that, that is kind of baffling to a Westerner, where we have this. Your your history doesn't determine who you at least it used to be more so this way that you are who you are how you act and and not uh, based on your your family name or your skin color or your or or your uh, heritage so it's it's different there and then Hamas is a, a a terrible and evil terrorist organization that has taken control of Palestine says to represent them but to Brian's point will happily happily and I mean gleefully sacrifice the civilians that are in their care, the men, women, and children who are just trying to get by in Gaza Strip, they will happily see them die so that Israel can be condemned on the international stage. And so they'll act, they'll literally shove men, women, and children, and I do mean literally, into a building that they know Israel's gonna bomb so that they can say, look, Israel's killing civilians. That's been known for a long time, this is not new. And even today, the headline is, oh, there was a hospital that was bombed and a bunch of civilians in Gaza died. And, and the the terrible thing about that is nobody's mourning these civilians we're not saying oh how terrible that this situation is it's all about well did israel bomb it or did or did hamas bomb it did hamas bomb it to make israel look bad or did israel bomb it because they're a bunch of monsters and that is the extent of the entire dialogue and the crazy thing about that is how the media is is gleefully running with this and i do, i mean our western you know american media to create division you can go on to reddit online and you'll see the vast majority of the people there, or at least on the on the most popular posts are saying, oh, well, clearly Israel did this. And then you look at Drudge Report and you can see the White House saying, no, clearly Hamas did this. And they both believe they're right. And honestly, I don't know which one's right. I, I know I, I would lean towards probably Hamas did this or at least made sure the civilians were there if they knew it was going to be bombed because to Brian's earlier point, they do that all the time. But what I want to point out is you and I, dear listeners, and Dan and Brian as well, are being manipulated to take sides based on whatever narrative will make us the most outraged, regardless of the truth of it. The truth is, we probably don't have a very good understanding or deep-seated appreciation for what's going on in Israel or what it's like to be an Israeli civilian. The truth is, we have almost no understanding or appreciation for what it's like to be a Palestinian civilian. The truth is most of us have no clue why Palestine and Gaza exists in Israel. And if we do, we have a lot of biases about how it happened or whether or not there should be a wall or whether or not that was the right thing to do. The The truth is, that, as Brian mentioned, that the I think anybody should objectively be able to agree with this, that the, the deck is always stacked against Israel when it comes to the international stage. Um, I think Israel has, I don't remember if they're on the, the UN um, uh, Peace Committee, but I know they've been censured like more than every other nation combined. So the UN, like the, the globalist elite, you know, hates Israel and will do anything to make it look bad. Um, the, you get these terrorist states similar, that are you know like Iran funding these terrorist organizations to commit atrocities. And then everybody says, well, Let's hope Israel doesn't overreact. So it, it's a it's a nasty situation. Now taking a step back from all that and moving a little bit more into our, um, our main topic for tonight is um, what's spiritually behind this? So when when Hamas first invaded Israel, and, and again, Israel's very, very small. so a ten, 10 trucks going in, can hit a pretty significant population center, and it's not like the U.S., where the population is all spread out. Ten trucks can get in, and within an hour can cover ten major population centers, which is most of the country. And I don't know if that's exactly what they did. And then you have some paramotors in there, um, and some guys literally flying in on on you know uh, flexible wing drones, and then some missiles that came through. So first and f- first of all, the whole situation stinks. It's suspicious. There is something weird because Israel's intelligence apparently completely failed which it doesn't almost ever, it is legitimately one of the best in the world. And that's anybody who's worked with them will agree with that. Their defense systems failed for the most part. And this this relatively ill-equipped group of terrorists ran amok in the country for a long time and killed a lot of people and did it. In atrocious ways. Over, over way. a thousand. Yeah, over a thousand people. Over a
1: thousand people in in the, in the initial attack.
0: And 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 we say one attack, but that's not like a bomb went off in a crowded stadium. That's they came in in an attack and killed a thousand people, house to house, venue to venue, you know, with with rifles all over the country. So it's like it's like every mass shooting that we can think of here happening simultaneously around the country and not being stopped, and a thousand people died. That's what it was. It was like several simultaneous mass shootings, and that's hard to pull off in Israel anyway. When you have an armed, uh, -armed, semi-armed populace that all has military training, so there's something about this that doesn't that seems really weird. I'm just going to float that. I I don't know if the truth about whatever really happened will ever come out publicly, but something about this doesn't add up because it just Israel should not have been caught flat-footed. Uh, and this kind of attack should not have been able to get as far as it did and and continue for as long as it did and kill as many civilians as it did. That's that's unbelievable. It, the, I've been through Israeli border crossings multiple times. I've been through their in, border interrogation process. I mean, they, they are they are ship shape. They are tight. They're airtight. There's never been a bombing at the Ben-Gurion airport, even though there's a, a million people in the world who had happily bombed the Ben-Gurion airport. Nobody's ever been able to pull it off. It's, it is that tight, they're that good in their security, yet somehow it all completely failed simultaneously. So so something about that doesn't add up to me. Maybe that's my tinfoil hat talking. But the bigger issue here for the purposes of our discussion tonight, when I first, when uh, Dan and Brian and I first on our, our kind of ongoing chat thread where we send topics and news and discussions and memes and whatever else we wanna share, when this started happening, and we were seeing the level of atrocity that was happening to Israeli civilians, our immediate conclusion was, this is spiritually dark. This is be, This is not just a political war. This is children being gruesomely publicly killed and celebrated in death, meaning people rejoicing in the death. I mean, this is like getting back to these weird like nanking style massacres where it's you're going what on earth is going on who I, whether you're palestinian or hamas or whatever how do you, how do you celebrate over the corpse of a child that's messed up and i and i'm not condemning people i'm saying there's something spiritually very very evil going on here and to that end, I wanna give Dan and Brian a chance to say anything else that they they wanna say about the Israel situation, but that's really what we're gonna start talking about tonight is w- what are these dark spiritual entities, um, maybe even getting into the names of some of them, and what should we as Christians be, be doing as we expect to see more and more of this in the world? That's not a prediction on politics. I have no idea what's gonna happen in the Israeli stage. I do know it's extremely sensitive. This could be a World War Three level thing. It's an absolute powder keg, even more so than the Russia-Ukraine situation, which is also a major conflict. And I have family members who are deployed there, not in Ukraine, but uh, staged right next to it in case they they're needed. There are uh, American soldiers that will be in um, in Israel, and some Americans, of uh, Israeli descent, are already in Israel. Uh, it, it's this is a this is a powder keg. It could get very very bad, or it may just be another terrorist attack that kind of blows over and gets swept under the rug. But this is not a typical one. It's gone on a long time and it's, it's pretty ugly. So I'll stop there for a moment. Let's let, uh, uh, Brian or Dan share any closing thoughts on the Israel situation. And then we want to start moving into dark spiritual forces and, uh, just some intro material around that topic to kind of wrap up the episode today.
1: I guess the only other thing I wanted to add is, you know, you step back and you look at this, you know, as a Christian, and looking at this from a biblical perspective, you know, when you look at the nation states and the peoples that are around on the on the world today from a national identity perspective, you know, you don't find Hittites, you don't find Hurrians, you don't find Canaanites, you don't find any of these ancient peoples that we read about in our Old Testament. And we read archeological finds and translations and all these things. They're not around anymore. Israel is around. Why? Well, because God said they would be around. He chose them and created a nation that was no nation from Abraham. And he is not done with them. He's not done with them prophetically. And as I've made the, you know, the statement many times before that it doesn't really matter what your background is and what religion you grew up with. But when you wanna cuss, you use the Lord's name in vain. You don't use Buddha and, and Mohammed or anything else. And it's the same thing where you have the Israeli people, the, the Jews, the Hebrews historically, whatever country they've lived in, have gone through persecution, horrible persecution all over Europe, all over Russia, uh, Asia, Wherever they have settled, there's always been programs against them to try to get rid of them and wipe them out. Why is that? Well, that's a spiritual answer. There's a reason for it, and it's not just because, for some reason, Jews are bad people, because they're not. They're lovely people. All the people that I've met that are of Jewish descent or actually were born in Israel, you know, they're, they're normal people. There isn't any outward reason why whole nations would decide we need to get rid of this group of people in our midst and they have continued to try to stay faithful to their beliefs in you know yahweh and we continue to try to show them the truth of the savior and the christ who came and all of that but god is not going to let israel go away prophetically it's just not going to happen so you kind of expect these things to happen, and it's terrible in the loss of human life and all of the things that go on. But God is going to continue to preserve that nation. Dan, yeah, well, off to you.
2: All right. So um, I, I'll transition it into into one of the books we're covering today. So you know, Joel is talking about the basically the celebration of murdering children and um one of the things in the book tonight is he talks about and in the book we're covering is the second coming of saturn by Derek gilbert Uh, and i think we might touch on another book a bit too Um, but he makes this connection you know going all the way back to the watchers on into present day of of a continuing theme One of those themes is, you know, some of these gods along the line, uh, you know, demanded uh, child sacrifice. And so, you know, you kind of see that coming in here. Like, I mean, what in the world is happening where people are celebrating with with the killing of children? And well, you have seen that before, and you've seen that before in the soil of Israel, and you've seen it with some of these uh, the worship of some of these um, gods that we are uh, going to end up covering. So, Joel, Ryan, I don't know if you have anything to, else to add, or I can start introing that book. Yeah, I, I, no, just I'll just jump j- right in.
0: I'll just say really, really quickly, the reason we're talking about this is because this is not just human conflict. When you see children and women and civilians being murdered and blood in the streets and celebrations going on as a result, there's a level of hatred there that surpasses normal politics. This, this is spiritually dark. And so it's a good example of the dark spiritual forces conversation that we want to get into tonight. And uh, that's been discussed a little bit on our discussion thread on telegram, because we want to start highlighting, and opening people's eyes is with, without getting freaked out, without getting paranoid, without finding a demon under every rock, we wanna start challenging you and our audience to, to look with spiritual glasses at what's going on and say, okay, if when, when there are, and I'm gonna use, I, I apologize for continuing to return to this ugly idea, but we need to acknowledge what's going on. When, when there are mutilated children being celebrated, what's going on? And it's not, what, what how much deception does there have to be for a human being to do that to another and then to have division over whether or not it's okay in, in the world? And we could apply that to a lot of things. We could apply that to abortion and all kinds of topics that have very strong feelings about them and a lot of division about them. But what, I, what we want to do with tonight is start really pushing you and our audience to take a spiritual look at this and say, what might be behind this specifically? Um, And it's not to, to create paranoia, it's to get us more and more into a mindset of spiritual warfare so we don't just sit here helpless and go, oh, that's terrible, I wish there was something I could do. Well, there are things that you can be doing and we're called to be doing things. So that's why we're entering these topics, that's why we're starting to move this direction with some of our upcoming episodes a little bit. We're not abandoning previous topics, all of this does fit in and it does wrap in pretty well but it's important. And when you get something as ugly as what we're seeing on the news right now, and and then the, when the dialogue around it is equally as ugly, if that were possible and so unbelievably divisive and so full of deception and confusion, well, what have we said many times? Deception is of the enemy. Destruction is of the enemy. Murder is of the enemy. And one of the single biggest methods that demonic forces use against human beings is confusion. They love to confuse us. They want us looking at anything but the truth. Well, if, there, if that's not going on with this Israel-Palestine situation, it's anything but the truth. It's total confusion, total deception, and all about division and rejoicing in the destruction of others. That is evil, and there's evil behind it. And we don't want it to just be this anonymous term. We're trying to make it specific and say specifically what might be going on here, and how do we recognize it, and then what can we do about it? So that's, that's why we're talking about this the way that we are.
2: All right, so jumping into into the book, The Second Coming of Saturn. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people might hear that that book, title and be like, what does what the second coming of Saturn have to do anything? So, th- this book uh, by Derek Gilbert, he goes into a lot of research, a lot, he's got, I don't know, 500 something footnotes in this book, very well researched, thoroughly researched, does a lot of digging, uh, does a lot of going into, you know, or, original languages and meanings and how they sounded and and all this stuff. And uh, one of the big themes of the book is he he draws a line from the Watchers. So if you've been listening to the uh, the podcast for a while, you you'd be familiar with the the term of the Watchers or uh, you know the episode on the Book of Enoch so the watchers is the you know the fallen angels who uh, are referenced in genesis 6 that married human women and their offspring were the nephilim so uh, in enoch the the chief of the these fallen watchers was shemyaza and so gilbert in this book draws a line from the watchers and shemyaza to all these other gods that were worshipped uh, throughout history. So, Kumarbi. Some of these, some of these, you might recognize the name. Some of them um, maybe not. Uh, some of them you'll you'll recognize from reading the Old Testament. Um, but you know, he 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 draws a line and argues that Shemyaza is the same as Kumarbi, is the same as El, is the same as Enlil and Dagon, and Molech, which, you know, Molech was really known for the child sacrifice. So that, you know, that ties directly in there. Um, and then and he argues that, that is the same also as Kronos from the Greeks, you know, he was the king of the Titans, and is who is also the same as Saturn, the Roman God. So, and then you can tie that all the way into into the United States and the way the capital is built. And I don't don't know if we'll get into all that tonight, but, you know, just drawing the line that all these different gods that were worshiped. And, um, and I, and I think we tend, you know, at least modern American Christians who don't have a spiritual understanding of scripture, we, we often think of all these gods that were worshipped as just you know, some, something that was just totally made up, and you know nobody, you know these people were just fools and were making up something and, and uh, worshiping something for for no reason. I guess because they were superstitious or um, you know superstitious. But he he draws the line that they're all connected they're all the same the, he, he does a really good job of showing the overlap with some of the stories uh, of these of these different gods and um, and talks about how people try to communicate with them and uh, I'll just read read a, a paragraph from about a third of the way through the book that kind of does a good job summarizing uh this section of it so if you'll remember um mount hermon is where the the rebellion happened with the watchers coming down so he says the mount hermon rebellion and the spirit who led it had a lasting impact on ancient israel it also shaped the western world through its influence on the religions of the greeks and romans kumarbi the godfather of the hurrians who we identify as the Watcher Chief Shemjaza, has been called by many names over the centuries, and it appears his cult has was spread by the dispersal of the descendants of Noah from the Ararat plain. So he you know, he tracks all of this back to you know people who got off the ark, and then these stories started spreading immediately, and in the time to how you know how he talks about how this is still influencing the world today and goes into uh, some some research on these uh, ritual pits and kind of this cult of the worship of the dead and the ways they would try to communicate with people. And, and he, he argues that the worship of the dead was communicating with uh, demons who are you know, Rephaim, who are the spirits of the dead Nephilim, which, you know, hopefully you're following all this because you've been listening to the podcast. If you're new to it, then we're probably throwing a whole lot at you. If you're
0: new to it, they're like, what language is he speaking?
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> if you're new to it, I'm sorry. And go back and listen. This, to this is a tough guy. episode to start on if you're new.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, let, let, let me let me jump in just real quick, Dan. If you don't mind, yeah. you know, I'll try to give a little bit more big picture con, context here because it, you're doing a great job summarizing the book. But some people are probably like, "What? How, what on earth does this have to do with?" <laughs> okay, so all right, so the book Dan's talking about is "The Second Coming of Saturn" by Derek Gilbert. Derek Gilbert has published a handful of books. He and his wife Sharon uh, have a very popular podcast um called uh what is it called the gilbert house fellowship uh he's on skywatch tv he has weekly video and radio programs and he and tim Almerino have done some work together he and uh tom horn have done some work together he and doug van dorn and you know all all these these people who are very much of, of the ilk of the kind of conversations that we have here at mystery bible on he's a very accomplished researcher and this book um, absolutely demonstrates that most of the first half of the book is about ancient Ugaritic, and uh, Arcadian and Hurrian texts, and he's actually put together some very groundbreaking, uh, researched, carefully researched, researched. Um, Conclusions and able to shed light on some really interesting connections in in history, and we're talking, you know, history, uh, you know, th- three, four, five thousand years ago, depending on what topic he's on. So the question on all that is, okay, so what? Uh, you've got a, a semi archaeologist that uh, that is putting all this stuff together, and he's saying, well, this god uh, Saturn. Is also L is also Kumarbi, is also Shemyaza, which if you've read Enoch should mean something. You know, he's the one who led the original rebellion of these watcher angels in from the Genesis 6 episode. So what who cares? That, that's, a, that's a valid question for those of you who, I know I know we nerd out about this stuff, but there is a point where you go, okay, cool. So what? Um, the so what of it is that these same entities are tied to the end times and are tied in some cases directly to the end times and I'm going to leave I'm going to leave some of that on the table for uh, some future discussions on this book that and uh, similar books that we hope to do and there are some people uh, and I'll bring up another author uh, Jonathan Kahn um, who are saying that some of these entities are active today specifically today and are particularly active today. So why that matters is because it, 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 when we start looking specifically at the ancient traditions around certain gods, and these gods, if you've been listening to this podcast, you shouldn't be too scandalized for when we say the, go- the ancient gods are real, not all of them, but some of the main ones are real. And when I say gods, it's it's little g gods, these false gods that meaning false, and that they're not Yahweh, they're not the one true God, but they are powerful non human beings that were worshipped by these ancient cultures, and that uh, were extremely active in these ancient times. The question is, okay, well, where did they go, and does do they have any effect on our lives today, and d- the the answer. Differs depending on which one you're talking about, but there's a lot of them and it's confusing. But what Mr. Gilbert is trying to do is he's connecting this really, really old stuff. And as you've heard us say so much, some of this research has only been available in some cases since the nineties. And in some cases he he draws conclusions on stuff that came out as recently as 2014 in terms of uh, uh, archeological findings that are proving very enlightening on these topics. He's connecting and saying, look, Shimyaza from the Anakian um, story of the, the Watchers and the Genesis 6 narrative is probably the same guy or the same entity that's responsible for yada, yada, yada through this and that and the other and will play this critical role in the end times, and we should be paying attention to that. And the reason we should be paying attention to that is because when you see things like... Uh, you know, diabolical attacks on the nation of Israel. You can go. Okay, wait a second. Where might that be coming from? What are the evil spiritual forces behind this? Or when you see a sudden—and this is a branching out beyond some of what Mr. Gilbert's written about—but when you see a sudden increase in um, uh, uh, sexual perversion and uh, rejo- um, rejoicing around sexual perversion, what entity might be behind that? When you see uh, an agenda of Destruction of infant and unborn children, or celebration of destruction of children. What entity might be behind that? So there's a um, there's a, a a consistency to all of this. The characters change names and put on different hats and different masks, but it's the same characters behind it, and and, and it's the same. You know that when you realize, oh, the 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 Greek and Roman pantheon. Didn't, they didn't come up out of a vacuum. They came from these ancient Middle Eastern, ancient Near Eastern and Middle Eastern concepts that can be traced all the way back to the flood through language and archaeology and other findings. Then suddenly you're realizing, oh, some of this stuff is a lot closer to home than we realized. And it is helpful to be able to identify some of these things. So that's the, the big context of what's going on here and why we're D- diving into Arcadian, Ugaritic, and Sumerian texts and tablets to say, well, what is this word and what does it mean? And it, it really does help us read our Bibles more carefully. And it helps us understand some things in the Bible that are really hard to understand. He has some really interesting theories around Psalm 82, which we've talked about with uh, in, in some of the Michael Heiser episodes and how this uh, Council of Gods may have worked. Who, Where is Yahweh in all of this? Where is Yahweh's nation of Israel in all of this? so when we start looking at all these things then um then it really does uh bring some really interesting concepts and and it most of all helps us understand what might be happening in the world and what might be happening more and more in the world as we get into the end times so i didn't mean um, I didn't mean, uh, Dan, to uh, jump on you there. I just want to try to bring that broader context in and say, why are we talking about this? And what does this have to do with, with some of the other pieces? And, and why is who cares who Kumarbi was? Well, Kumarbi is the same as, very likely, the same as Shimyaza, the same as El, the same as Saturn, and the same as some of the main characters you read about in Revelation who we may be expecting to see sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, and one of the recurring themes in the in the podcast in general, and a lot of topics we've covered, is just kind of this realization that you know we tend to try to put things in little boxes that we can understand and that that fit conveniently um, within. You know, we can put evil in this category; it's all Satan and some demons, or you know, we can put um different things in different categories and i think one thing that we keep on seeing the more we look into and the more we research and the more our eyes are open to this stuff is that the world and the universe and the spiritual world and all of it is just way bigger and way more complex than we can begin to grasp or understand and there's a lot more going on and uh you know and the and, and the evil runs deep and, and the evil is active and it's not just, you know, um, it's not just Satan with a cartoon pitchfork and prodding people. Uh, but there's very real forces at work and there's uh, very, very real uh, enemies and, and lots of them. Um, not, not so many that we have to be scared of them. Like we we still know that we win we still we still know that Jesus wins we still know there's there's more that are with us than are with the enemy so um, you know but it's still good to kind of open our eyes up that that there is an awfully big um, world out there that we are not aware of.
1: Well the thing too is that <clears throat> when you think about it, you know, in the narrative from the Bible and and from the Book of Enoch, the the Shemiaza being is actually in prison and has been in prison since he was punished after the sin of the Watchers. And these different religious traditions, through these different um, civilizations, they have a lot of things that are dramatically in common rituals that they perform. And they're related a lot to what a lot of people would call ancestor worship, but that doesn't begin to describe what kind of things that they were doing. And what they were doing was they were basically summoning these spirits from, from where they are, you know, floating around in the world and then they would communicate with them and worship them and do things like this and and when you see in the bible where it talks about somebody who has an idol they did a a ritual called the opening of the mouth ceremony and it would bind one of these beings to the idol so that they could communicate with it and the opening of the mouth part was the fact that okay now that now the being can breathe through this idol and speak through this idol because we've opened opened the mouth and that ceremony also exists in ancient peoples in South America and North America and Asia. It's, it's not just in the, the Levant region or the Mesopotamian region that we generally talk about related to Enoch and things like that. Um, but there's a whole bunch of those other beings because in Genesis, chapter 10 we have the table of nations and then in deuteronomy it tells us that god put elohim in charge of those nations and then he created his own nation from abraham and those beings are not in, those beings are not in prison and those beings are still around and we don't have you know religions floating around today that are death cults in the same way that we know of but if you get into any of the literature of the modern occult from say 1900 to now. The mystery schools as well. Yeah. The mystery schools. There's a lot of people who do what is called channeling and they are connecting with a spirit on the other side, which they typically call spiritual guides. And they are asking questions and being given information and they write books based on this and start, you know, study groups and small cults and things like that and these are the same beings they just are showing a little bit different face but they're still active and they're still working and so there is a difference between a demon and an elohim and both of them are still around on the planet and we in the modern world have so divorced everything from the spiritual nature of the world that we live in, we everything, our first thought is always the physical reality that we live in. And so we tend to dismiss anything that can't be explained by your five senses. And there's a completely different worldview that was on the planet for thousands and thousands of years where in daily life, the spiritual and the physical were all on the same plane they were on equal planes and one would affect the other and that's how people looked at it and that's how people thought about it and we don't think about it that way anymore and that frankly is a quite good victory on the part of the enemy to get people to dismiss spiritual influence um on their leaders and in in different people's houses and in different things like that you know there's how many, how many families have bought Ouija boards and you can go to the game store today and you could buy Ouija boards and, and start, you know, quote unquote playing with them. But that's, it's another, it's a tool to facilitate communication from us to the spiritual beings on the other side. And for some reason, we don't know the mechanism, but for some reason, even the beings that are imprisoned are able to make some communication through the spirits of the Rephaim and other Elohim, to people. And that is a scary proposition, but it's been going on for thousands of years. So the fact that we might be becoming more aware of it again, because people were certainly aware of it before, The fact that we are becoming more aware of it again doesn't mean that we should be more fearful than when we didn't know about it we should just be more aware and hopefully it will inform our prayers to be able to focus on praying against the right things praying against as paul said the principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness and high place. you know if you've been in the church any amount of time you're familiar with those verses and Every one of those verses in the Greek is related to a type of or a, a role of Elohim. They weren't just a bunch of descriptive words that all meant demon. Each one of those phrases that Paul uses are related to hierarchies of spiritual beings that God created.
0: Yeah, and Paul's and not just being colorful to, in his language there. He's he's, he's, not being, colorful. he's being very intentional. Yeah.
1: So we need to start grasping onto that as we read our bibles and we need to grasp onto that as we're praying about these things and don't dismiss it out of hand. Just say, "Okay, Lord, what do I need to do in my prayer life against this? And and what do I need to be aware of in my life that maybe I was asleep at the wheel before or ignorant of Because God holds us responsible for the knowledge that we have. I mean, even in the law, in the Old Testament, he would make statements like, you know, if you're guilty of this, when you become aware of it, go make restitution, go to the priest and, you know, bring the dove and the grain offering and the drink offering and whatever it is that you need to do for that particular offense of the law. But he would always say, when you become aware of it, go do this, because he understands that sometimes we're not aware of things that we are doing that he doesn't approve of. And we learn over time. And when we become aware, then that's when we need to make changes and we need to go to God and say, okay, I understand now. And I will, I will, you know, change my behavior to do what it is that you want me to do.
0: Yeah. Um, on walmart.com, you can get a Ouija board for 1299. Um, and I mean, and there's tons of them, including, uh, I'm looking at the uh Clousey Wooden Ouija Board Polished burfree Divination Metaphysical Message Board for Home. It, you can go buy that. It's like $5 <laughs> on walmart.com. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, people think this, this stuff is like, they're like, oh, nobody ever has that. Well, there's like 20 of them for sale. Uh, here's my one of my favorites. For $117.50, you can have a Ouija board altar table with a drawer with a 12 inch drawer for 117.50 you can have a literal literal solid wood ouija bouldered furniture in your house uh, so why is everybody making this well because people are buying them um so the the, the it, it hasn't hasn't gone away i, I want to bring up a, a book that um is a secular book i have probably mentioned it in the past but it, it keeps coming to mind This is an interesting book it's called um and i don't know if we'll do a full episode on it i'm not sure but there's a book called the deception of gods and men the subtitle is the price of power has never been so great that book is written by two authors barry fitzgerald and brian allen who are thoroughly secular they don't believe the bible they don't take scripture seriously they're not even necessarily archaeologists. They're they're more historians and uh, folk historians, and they have some familiarity with the occult. But they came to the conclusion in this book, and I think it's a I think it's an extremely insightful conclusion for being so handicapped as not taking spirituality seriously whatsoever, because they're completely secular guys. The conclusion they came to was that behind the power and authority in the world. Across time and generations and civilizations, are some very dark forces that haven't changed. Meaning, it's the same forces all along, and it's this this it crosses over into our world in different ways. And they believe that that is directly related to how power and wealth are created in our world. And for being completely secular, that's an extremely insightful conclusion, but. But they don't try to name those forces. They don't know what they are. Then they go so far as speculate, well, is it alien? Is it spiritual? They don't really believe in spiritual in the traditional sense. So the question is, well, what what is this? And that's all they're really left with. Um, They're talking about a polarized world of good and evil and Uh, black and white and saying like humans have been victimized and manipulated by some dark forces along the way and somehow they're able to say that from this very agnostic secular viewpoint and come to the conclusion that something is behind all this and something is directing the the power dynamics and the affairs in the world and always has been for the history of all humanity and they do that without doing the kind of work that Derek Gilbert's done of diving into these ancient tablets and texts and spending time in these archaeological sites in turkey and uh and, you know uh, the the middle east and in israel um it's it's it, and, and so what i'm getting at the reason i'm bringing that up is to say anybody who's really paying attention and who has a good mind and is willing to put in a little legwork is going to come to the conclusion that something's behind this and what we're trying to do is try to gather the best information we can to say, okay, who is it? What is it? How does it work? And, uh, and what are we supposed to be doing as Christians? Because what's been missed in Christianity and what's been missed by a lot of churches, and I, I'm not speaking against the church, every one of you should be attending a good local church body. And, and anybody who says they walk with Christ should be going to church, even if it's not a perfect church, and then it's not. But you, you should be attending, you should be active, you should be engaged, you should be in discipleship and fellowship and uh, serving and edifying the church. It is Christ's body in this world. So that's part of how we serve Christ who we follow. But what the church has missed is that that narrative that I just described that even secularists are able to find saying what and who is behind this and how does it work and what are we supposed to do about it is the bigger picture of what the gospel really is. The gospel is is not simply, you know, Jesus died to save us from our sins. That's part of it. But it's really the the, the triumph of good over evil, not just for humans, but across all the cosmic realms. And you've heard me, you know, uh, get on my soapbox about that before. So what, what I'm realizing, and I'll talk personally for myself, in this cliche journey, which is a cliche word, but it's true, in this, this process of, of opening my eyes more and more to these things, probably going, going all the way back to, you know, years and years ago at Aletheia and studying the Bible and teaching through especially teaching through Genesis and some of these others, then I've started to see the world differently And it's not just me. Many, many people are getting this awakening and I think that's on purpose. I think many people, many Christians are having their eyes open to this stuff and most of you listening are probably feeling a similar journey. And if some of you it's just been months, some of you it's been years, some of you it's been a lifetime. Um, For me, it was uh, fractured early on and has come into better and better clarity and I, I still don't have total clarity around it. In the last handful of years and probably five to seven years it's been like, oh, I've been really underestimating this stuff. And I've done a lot of deep dives to try to understand it a lot better. But that my eyes are being opened to the spiritual conflict, which is funny because, as Brian just quoted it, from several places in the Bible, it's all over the Bible. And it's what Paul is trying to tell us over and over in his letters in the, in the New Testament. And it's what Deuteronomy chapter 32. Says.
2: Dang. Brian, I'm on the phone with Joel, his computer's completely frozen. He's restarting his computer and did hard, had to do a hard reset. Control-Alt-Delete wouldn't even work. And he's gonna try to hop back in since this one's still recording. Ironically, that was probably the content that was going to make it the best podcast episode ever. Best podcast. Episode ever. Best podcast. Episode ever. Podcast episode ever. Podcast
0: ever. We're back. It's minute 130, going on minute 139 on our recording. Which I'll make a note of here. We're going to hand the mic over to Brian and Joel will figure this out in post production. So, Brian, take it away.
1: I mean, we've mentioned this topic many times on the podcast, but I just want to reiterate the dumbing down of spiritual awareness that's happened in our modern world. And, you know, God did not make prohibitions in the law against sorcery and necromancy and divination and things like that for no reason. He didn't do it because they didn't exist and they didn't work. And Paul also did not tell us to not eat meat, sacrifice to idols, or we'd be participating with demons if demons were not really a thing and if it wasn't a, an actual risk. And then, of course, we have the witch of Endor who rose the spirit of Samuel, for Saul. And, you know, she already knew that she wasn't supposed to be doing that. It had been outlawed. And when she realized who Saul was, she was afraid and he said, no, it's fine. I'm not going to do anything to you. Um, and she literally did something that she did all the time. She raised a spirit and it was a real thing that happened. You know, the battle between Moses and the high priests in Pharaoh's court when he was you know here's a plague and then they would create a plague which always cracked me up cuz i could imagine them going to pharaoh and saying look we also can turn the blood in the water into blood and pharaoh's like great you guys are so helpful this is awesome but turn it back uh, maybe <laughs> yeah could you could you do the opposite maybe but no and and they several of the plagues they did turn those they did duplicate them And then all of a sudden they couldn't duplicate any more of the plagues they were they were powerless at that point there have been plenty of skeptics and even christians who you know read this story and they say well you know they were just using tricks it wasn't real magic it wasn't it wasn't actual power that was coming from supernatural sources even though moses was doing things that was definitely power from the ultimate supernatural source and but they were also doing that and their staves. I mean, in the Hebrew it's interesting because their staves, they turned them in they turned them into snakes. And then Moses' staff ate their staffs. So it wasn't a trick that actually has been shown before where these guys were able to actually get a snake to be rigid until they, you know, hit it a certain way and then it turns back into a snake. It it wasn't that kind of a trick. This is, this is real stuff that does work. And that's why God said, I don't want you to be doing any of that stuff. This is the things that the watchers taught people how to do. And like we've talked before, Babylon's cultural heroes, they they praised the Apkalu for coming down and teaching them their sorcery and their pharmacology and all of the things, their architecture, that made their nation great in their eyes. And all of the different regions did that. Well all of that knowledge and all of those things, it just keeps getting reformed. And when you, one of the things in the book that he brings out that is so powerful is when you read the legend surrounding one of these gods, it doesn't matter if it's a Roman God or a Greek God or back to Assyria or Babylon, there's these conflicts that happen in these gods families and they wind up being very similar in terms of what happened even though the names have been changed, but what was going on, who killed who and who did what all turns out to be very, very similar in nature. And so to think that all of that stuff happened way back then, and then it just stopped. Why, why would it, why would it just stop? Well, what we've been told is it wasn't, it was, it was myth. It wasn't real. And the reason it stopped is because people got smarter and they quit believing in those silly superstitions. But that, in fact, is is not the case. And, you know, we did an episode on possession. Um, There's all kinds of material out there. There's all kinds of eyewitness accounts and stories and people's experiences, lived experience, related to spiritual warfare in a dramatic and obvious way that is more than just you know, feeling depressed or feeling the hair on the back of your neck rise up. But even that, pay attention, you know, it's like, we need to take these prohibitions seriously in the modern world, because they're still happening, but we're just not aware of it. We've just got blinders on. And, you know, and there are different Christian groups that I say would I I would say take it way too far and they focus all of their efforts and energy just on thinking about and trying to figure out how to defeat demons, so to speak. But, um, that's not what I'm proposing. I just want us to, the, the main power that we have is to pray. So we need to pray more often, literally against the spiritual powers in, in the high places. And, continued prayer by more and more of God's people will have an absolute effect on those forces. And that's kind of what I want to throw that in there.
0: Well, thank you, Brian listeners. This middle section is going to sound a little strange because something just happened. And I, I, this is weird to say, but it's, it's a little too convenient to just be, be sheer coincidence. I was talking about, uh, spiritual warfare and conflict and spiritual conflict and getting pretty specific about it and sharing some pretty personal stuff about it. And my, um, uh entire system uh shut down and froze and I was kicked out of the recording and couldn't get back on until I completely power cycled. <laughs> and so fortunately it appears that the recording is still running. Hopefully we'll still be able to salvage this. But there was uh, uh some minutes in there of um of this discussion that were completely lost and until I get into post-production I don't know exactly what was and wasn't said or exactly uh, what all I said. <laughs> and so uh Brian uh very graciously uh just jumped in to kind of cover for for me and keep the content rolling while we could uh, hopefully get this back on track. So it's, it's gonna be a little weird. It's a technical difficulty. Um, and I think I, I'm starting to take some of these technical difficulties a little bit seriously and a little bit personally, because that one seemed kind of personal. It was right when we were getting into the meat of the topic and all of a sudden, boom, I'm out of the studio and there's nothing I could do about it for several minutes. Part of what I was sharing was that my eyes personally, have been op- opened to these topics in new ways in the last several years. And what I mean by that is um, that, you know, I, I grew up knowing the Bible. I had a pretty good working knowledge of scripture and had been taught it all my life. And I knew my way around the Bible and I had grown up with, you know, good biblical teaching. However, and e- even with uh, some charismatic background, it seemed like spiritual warfare. As far as uh, as as far as most Christians considered it, it was just sort of this weird thing that some Christians had to do sometimes under strange circumstances. And Brian was alluding to this a little bit just now, where it's it's like, okay, here's a particular spiritual event happening in this person's life. We need to pray a little extra hard, and then maybe there would be a sermon on spiritual warfare. That's not really the biblical approach to spiritual warfare, but I, I didn't really have a good appreciation for that until I started teaching the Bible a lot. And this goes back to some of the time at Aletheia and especially getting into teaching Genesis and teaching this history. It was a, a part of the process of me becoming increasingly aware of the day-to-day conflict of spiritual warfare. Um, so uh, as, we, as, as we get into that, then, or or as I'm reflecting on that process, what I've come to realize and what I hope you dear listeners have come to realize is that this stuff is constant. And I don't mean in the sense that there's a demon under every rock and we need to be yelling at demons all the time. That's not the point because that's not what spiritual warfare is anyway. I've come to believe that every willful choice that I make is an act of war. It's, and, and by the way, Paul's talking about this stuff all the time. And we, I, I just wasn't getting it until I started understanding what the spiritual realm really was and how complex it is and how how deeply involved in it we are and what it means to be a human being in the midst of all this. And I hope that this podcast is really this podcast as a as a whole. We're on episode 22 of whatever this mystery Bible on journey is. I hope it's opening your eyes dear listener to this conflict as well and giving you more and more of a sense for what spiritual warfare is the choices i make are choices of war because there is a war we opened this recording with the discussion of this complex ancient deep-seated war between israel and other middle eastern powers um that's old, it's complicated. We don't fully understand it. We, have, we don't have our eyes completely open to it. We haven't lived it. You know, it's, it's a little bit impersonal for most of us. Well, taking that as an analogy, the spiritual conflict is infinitely more complex, infinitely older, and uh, we are infinitely more blind to it. There's a lot of it we don't get we have these sunday school versions of what's going on and they're they're just inadequate and as a result our spiritual warfare by the grace of god is effective when we walk with Christ, but we don't even realize the acts of war that we're committing uh, Or as we walk with Christ. We don't, we've talked a little bit on this podcast in the past. Baptism is an act of spiritual war, and it's a profound act of spiritual war. It's a really important act of spiritual war, and it's a really powerful act of spiritual war, but we've kind of dumbed it down in many cases just to this personal journey thing that you do and, and really miss the point of, of how it reverberates through the cosmic realms. So a lot of what we're discussing today and in this this particular recording is it, and as we start talking about these particular entities and re- introducing some of these books and some of these uh, speakers that we're hoping to have is getting into the reality of how old and specific and personal this stuff is and that we should expect as we get to the end times that these these, uh, these, personalities and these intelligences are coming back. The masks will be stripped away. When we get to the end times, and I think that that will be soon, then the the pretenses will be off. And our generation as a generation of human beings is not necessarily any wiser and in fact is probably much less wise than previous generations. And what did previous generations do with these really dark spiritual forces? Well, they embraced them and worshiped them because they could create, they could make a human being like a God. They could give fortune, they could give uh, power, they could give wealth, and they could give authority, which by the way is exactly what Jesus Christ was offered when Satan specifically tempted him. So, they, so we should expect that when these dark spiritual forces arise and remove their masks in the end, there's always some level of deception and confusion that goes with it. The vast majority of humanity is going to celebrate and say, this, they're not gonna go, oh, that's the bad guy. No, they're gonna say, oh, this is the good guy we've been waiting for all along. And that's, that's Satanism, that, that is the, the rebellion of Satan is, is to replace God with, with self and with, uh, with deception. So the vast majority of humanity and as Jesus alluded to, the possibility of many Christians being completely deceived by these forces is the reason why we are trying to get so specific about them today and starting this process and kind of going this direction with the podcast for a little while is to try and get really specific about who who is this guy, Shemyaza? where did he come from? Um, what, where did he, how can we trace him through ancient history? How can we trace him to today? Uh, it, and using him as an example, wh- What was he all about in ancient times? And what how was the worship of him recognized? And where are we seeing that today? And while we're talking about Shamiaza, let's talk about Ishtar. Or let's talk about Anish uh, uh, and Shemyaza goes by many names, you know, Kumarbi and El and uh, Saturn and and more. And some of those will be quite surprising as we go forward. Uh, and then what about Ishtar? What about Baal, Molech? Are they the same? Are they different? Where are we seeing these things today? Uh, where are we seeing that? You know, w- which god was in charge of the the twisting of sexual identity, and why is that? becoming such a big deal today so again it's it's not to find the demon under every rock and start ranting and raving it's and i've seen spiritual warfare misconstrued as that to attacking people and oppressed people and and you know treating people like they're the demonic force they're not they're they're the 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 victim they're the the oppressed and deceived ones we have to be able to walk in this world in love in the authority of christ with our eyes wide open to evil and be willfully rejecting it at every turn and willfully embracing the, the the indwelling of christ's spirit instead of the whispering and beguilement of evil spirits and it's a hard journey so that's why we're we're having these conversations i was trying to say a lot of that and uh, and i was saying it in some more specific detail uh before when i got uh you know, completely kicked out of the recording and my system shut down. So there may be, so forgive me if you're like, oh, he already said this. Why is Joel repeating himself? When I splice this all together in post-production, I'll try to make it as much sense, try to make as much sense out of it as I can. But I hope you're hearing the the gravity and the, the, the how important this message is and capturing some of that. And, um, hopefully it uh, isn't too marred and, and discombobulated in this uh, weird recording we've had tonight. I want to give it back to Brian to talk a little bit about some of his personal journey and um, then we'll kind of move towards some kind of close here.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to tell a personal story related to this, this stuff. So I did, I did not grow up in a Christian home and I got involved in the occult as a teenager and, you know, I did astral projection, out-of-body experiences, things like that. And I was looking for something, right? I was trying to fill that hole. And I look at this episode as the first time that I could directly see God protecting me from myself for future use kind of a thing. So I was... 17 or 18. I don't remember exactly how old I was. I lived with my grandmother at the time and my grandparents had a really old Ouija board that they've had forever. And, uh, I came home and my, my young cousin, uh, cause my uncle had died in a car accident. And so he was also living with my grandmother at the time and my grandpa had died years and years before. So the three of us were living in this little house in Montana and I came in and my cousin was with a friend of his and I think he was about 10 years old and they were playing with a Ouija board, right? And I walked in the front room and I sat down my bag and my cousin, looks at me and he says, Hey, Brian, I said, what? He said, the Ouija board wants to talk to you. And I said, what are you talking about? Now I'm not touching the thing. I'm across the room. They've, I don't know how long they have been playing with it. And I said, what do you mean? It wants to talk to me. It just spelled out your name and said, it wants to talk to you. Like it spelled a whole sentence. And, and I said, I thought they were just playing a joke on me. So I was very skeptical and and I said all right I'm going to ask a couple questions that I know you two don't know the answers to and I did that and it answered the questions and I was like okay what is going on here and I I asked what the name was and it gave me a name and through this conversation with me, you know, six, seven feet away, never touching the Ouija board with two 10 year old kids with their hands on it. It told me that that night, if I would be willing to or project, it would meet me and start teaching me, teaching me the, you know, magical things that I wanted to know. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So that night, um, I slept on the couch, at my grandma's house, and uh, I started meditating and tried to do what I had done multiple times before, and I was unable to do it at all. And from that point on, I was never able to do it again. So I never, I never had that, exp- you know, I never met this being. I never, never experienced any of that. And I was at the time, ridiculously angry and frustrated Because I'm like, well, does this stuff actually work or does it not work? Or, you know, I was just I was really upset. And I went in the military and I was in tech school, and another guy that I met there from the army, his mother wrote a book called The Primer, and she channeled the whole book. And so this was another attempt where he was basically trying to proselytize me. I he gave me a copy of the book and I read it. And trying to get me into this particular New Age occultic group that they had going. And again, the things that they said, well, do this and, and it'll it'll happen this way, they, they didn't happen that way, right? So I just kind of gave up on the whole thing. But I know absolutely for a fact what happened in that room. And I know that my 10-year-old cousin and his friend from school had no idea what was going on. They were shocked and amazed by the by the whole thing, just as I was. And I know that that was God protecting me from myself, because if I had been able to do what I wanted to do and actually have contact with this ET, essentially, um, my life would have taken a dramatically different turn than it did. So, you know, personal experience, i know this stuff is real and i know that it works and i know there's a lot of people who do a lot of things with it all the time and that's why i know that when christ finally got a hold of my heart and i dedicated my life to him i definitely take these things seriously in the bible and don't think that they're just myth or embellishment or exaggeration uh, or, or superstition that was written into the the holy word of god because god didn't put superstition in his bible so I just wanted to share that with the listeners and uh, let you know that, you know, it touches a lot of people around us. And I I know Joel's had a few weird experiences in his life um, that are not easily explained either. So just just remember that and, and keep the faith focused on where it needs to be.
0: Yeah. And Brian, we appreciate you sharing that. And I've, you've shared that story with me a long time ago, and I know it's not one that you wave around in the air as some kind of badge of honor because it, what it shows is the, 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 the ignorance that, that, and I'll say collectively that we in the past have had about some of these things and how gracious God is to preserve us from our own ignorance and say, no, we, we're not going to let him go down that road. Yeah,
1: I, I totally dodged a sword strike right there. I mean, it was, it could have been bad. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't want to think about what my life would have been like, but anyway. Yeah.
0: I mean, it because we've are informed enough now to know that when people, are not protected from that and go down that road and start interacting with these spirits. It's, that is of sorcery, which by the way, I mean, go watch the, and I don't say this to you, I say this to the broader audience, go watch the 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 Dr. Strange Marvel movie. I mean, it's that's what sorcery is. That, that's what that stuff is. And there's a reason why it's forbidden in scripture. It's not forbidden in scripture because it's nothing it's forbidden scripture because it's very effective and very dangerous and very evil and very destructive to the people who engage in it. And so we're grateful and thankful to uh, our Lord for preserving Brian from that, um, from that trap of sorcery. And it does tend to be beguiling in that sense of, Oh, here's, here's hidden knowledge. Here's some power. Here's some authority because these evil spirits have, uh, influence on the world. And I'll give a a part of the, I was describing kind of how that works as part of what I was saying before, when, uh, when I got kicked out of the studio, um, but the, 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 the very quick summary of what I was trying to say is the, um, the Catholic church often equates, uh, demons with fallen angels. And historically that's not really true. Uh, the first 400 years of the Christian church, it was, uh, taken absolutely for granted that everybody knew and agreed that the demons were the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. And the Nephilim were not fallen angels. They were the human hybrid offspring of fallen angels. And what I mean by that is when you go back to the Genesis 6 account, I know this is a review for a lot of you, but I'm just clarifying what it is we're talking about. But you go back to the Genesis 6 account, then you have this watcher class of angels which is a a subset of the angelic or of the heavenly realm. And it's a very powerful subset. You can see it in Daniel chapter four. If you want to see watchers that did not rebel and how they use their authority to interact with humanity and do it specifically for the glory of God, you can read that in uh, the Nebuchadnezzar narrative in Daniel chapter four. And you'll notice if you have a good Bible translation, it will say the watchers. The watchers were the ones who saw this, who determined it, and who are redirecting human affairs for the glory of God. So that brings up a whole lot of interesting theological questions. Well, there were some, I don't know how many watchers there are, but there was some portion of them in uh, Genesis chapter six and then detailed in the book of Enoch that rebelled against God and chose to interact with humanity in a variety of ways. Uh, One of those was, one of those ways was to share forbidden knowledge and another one of those ways was to make babies with humans and those things were probably intertwined where there was a trade that was happening and again we don't we don't fully understand all, all of how or why or exactly what happened but the uh, the fallen angels that committed this rebellion are did not become demons instead they were specifically imprisoned and this you can read this through a lot of Ancient uh, mythology and legend, but also well, Joel, in the Bible.
1: I wanted to just interject real quick yeah, on that. It. So, in this book, The Second Coming of Saturn, about a little over halfway through the book, there is a, one section, and he's talking about this idea of what the church, the early church, believed related to these things. And he has a section where he just pulls quotes from the writers in the first couple hundred years of the of the church and so there's justin martyr Irenaeus, athagoras of athens origin pseudo clement plutarch eusebius polycarp every one of them has quotes of writing that we still have of theirs where they are literally talking about this specific topic and they all were in agreement of what happened and who the nephilim are and what demons are and that is what the church believed and around 400 a.d julius africanus came up with a different view of genesis chapter 6 and then um, augustine later had a falling out with a group that he was part of that were uh, they, they revered the book of enoch they had a falling out and then he didn't want anything to do with it anymore so he took Africanus's theory about Genesis chapter six, that was completely non supernatural, so to speak. And that because of Augustine's influence in the church, that kind of became the normal way that people viewed it from that point on. And it's amazing to me. I always ask like whose side was he on anyway? Cause we, we can read the writings of the people that were, Polycarp was one of Paul's disciples, I believe. I mean, these guys are right after the early church and they wrote on this extensively. So we've kind of been fed some traditional lies that don't line up with what scripture actually said and it doesn't line up with the worldview that the apostles and Jesus had in the church. And that's a crime. It's a crime.
0: Well, and and the, the other thing that happened around the time of Augustine was... Constantine and Constantine kind of co-opted a lot of the pagan supernaturalism and started to put Christian ease over it. And it was a sh- very shrewd political move on his part. And what happened is you got this weird blending and, and ultimately kind of a neutering of the supernatural and everything just became this, I'm very drastically oversimplifying, but, but there became this kind of uh, christian veil that was pulled across the supernatural realm and maybe there was a purpose in that for a time but i believe that the time today there's a purpose in getting back to the spiritual reality that we're facing because because i think it hasn't done the church a lot of uh, a lot of favors to kind of refuse to talk about this stuff and i say that lovingly uh, the 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 local church if you know if, if you're a follower of christ you you need to attend a church. Uh, you, you should be involved in a church. It's something that you, that is important. So again, that's repetition for something that I don't know if it was included or not included in the previous recording. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but, uh, so we're not saying that say, Oh, you should forget about the churches of no value. The church is absolutely of value, but there are, there are some things that have been lost. We were recently in, in the, uh, in the mystery Bible on, um, thread there was recently you know somebody who was saying oh what what do you guys think that you have all this new and special knowledge about uh, Christianity and the Bible we're going our response was it's not new it's what was normal back when Christianity started when those church fathers that Brian just rattled off, who many of whom were direct personal friends with the apostle Paul or other apostles, you know, some of the 12 whose lives overlapped with them or who were their disciples or their students or within a generation or so of them. This was the norm. This is what Christianity started out as, and then it moved away from that through some false teachings and some very unhelpful teachings and influences, and it was lost, and now we're wandering around having no idea what spiritual warfare is supposed to be or why it's supposed to be or, or what a demon is. So that's part part of that rant, and part of our, our mission here is not to rail against the church and not to cultivate anger or Descend from the church, but to try and open our eyes more and more to what's been lost so that we can understand how important it is to walk day to day in Christ and in the light. So we can understand the stakes of evil that we're facing if we are blind to these things. And so that we're not deceived as the deception stakes continue to get raised and as the deception continues to ramp up in the particular generation that we're in. So what, what I was summarizing, and again, I know it's repetition for some of you, but I think it's important to revisit, was that the, uh, the fall of the Watchers, uh, the, in, they started to interact with and influence humanity through sharing of special knowledge, through gifting of power and authority, through making hybrid offspring. But the Watchers that originally rebelled didn't fall into becoming demons, Rather, they, um, they were in, in many cases, and, and there were some that were not, but they were imprisoned. And they were imprisoned specifically in a subset of the underworld called Tartarus. And that is biblical. You can find it in the book of Second Peter. He specifically says that's the only place Tartarus is mentioned in the Bible, but it comes up a lot in other ancient documents. And by the way, that was that, that narrative of them being imprisoned under the earth is widely agreed upon. And mythology, and in, and I say mythology, not saying that it's not true. I just use that term to talk about you know the, these ancient narratives that happened. It was widely agreed upon that there were very very powerful beings who interacted with humans, who had offspring, and who were imprisoned. However, they continue to influence the the earth, and they influence it through a couple of ways. One is through their hybrid offspring. Well, how do they do that if the nephilim died? Well, when the nephilim died then their spirits didn't disappear. Their spirits continue to wander the earth and to influence the earth. And those are what we call demons. So the demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim that died in or around the time of the flood. And, in, and if you are to take some of the... Uh, some of the legends seriously, then they were cursed to wander with human appetites, but not being able to satisfy them. And that partly explains why they are constantly trying to inhabit and take over human bodies and control human beings. They want to replace that. Some, some really, really good, um, material on that. Um, I'll give a, you know, a spoiler. We may do an episode on this. We may not, but if you are interested in seeing a, a well done movie on that, the one that just came out called nefarious or nefarious is a a pretty good movie that does a pretty good job showing what that possession can look like in the theology. And there's not bad. It's, it's, it's worth taking a look at. So you have, um, the the fallen imprisoned watchers who are influenced in the earth through their disembodied offspring, who are these these cursed spirits, and also through human beings who want to do their bidding and who are willing to engage with them intentionally and purposefully so that they can get power and control and knowledge knowledge and forbidden authority on the earth. And that's what sorcery is. That's what that, that magical stuff that Brian was talking about that we just say, Oh, well that stuff never happened. Well, it did happen. It does happen. And it still happens. And, um, and you know, a Ouija board is a form of that. It's, it's a form of being able to get hidden and forbidden knowledge through connecting with, uh, th- with uh, spirits of the underworld and we're, we as Christians are not supposed to do that. And again, we're, we're warned against that, not because it's doesn't exist, but because it does exist. And the fact that you can go on walmart.com and get all this dark spiritual technology for very cheap prices. And the fact that, that that's so widely and easily available and as part of our our you know our culture, and that children are playing with it, and nobody seems to be too, all too perturbed about that, and that it's been available for so long, there, there's clearly a, a dark spiritual deception behind all of that, and it's costing. People's souls and people's lives, and it's being very destructive in our world. There are uh, myriad stories of people whose lives who have been profoundly negatively affected by interacting with uh, with those kind of spiritual devices and falling. You know, as Brian talked about, just through uh, ignorant curiosity, just going, "Oh, yeah, this sounds interesting. I want to play around with it." Well, they play around with it, and then they start to get some results. And suddenly they're sucked in and then before long their their life is ruined by these very very intelligent and very manipulative um, dark spirits so as we get into the end biblically there's a very good case to be made and you can see it in the book of ezekiel and some places that we'll get as we explore Derek gilbert's material a little bit more there's a very good case to be made that this stuff is coming back and it's coming back and will be openly active in the earth and among humankind in the end times, and that the activity will ramp up. It's not coming back because it never went away, but some of the imprisoned spirits will be released from prison and will have some active authority. So the whole purpose of our discussing this is to try and be armed for that, not out of fear, but out of wisdom and discernment. So we can see the deceptions, call them what they are and speak truth into those places. The the most powerful weapon you have in spiritual warfare is the truth. And the truth is always Christ and comes back to Christ and who he is and what he did and what he tells us. It's his word. That's the most powerful weapon we have. It's how Christ battled the devil directly when he was faced with direct temptation from his, from the enemy. So if th- that's why it's important that we know the truth and that when we read our Bibles, we're seeing the conflict in our Bibles so that when we're faced with it, we know what's going on and we're not caught off guard and we're not caught completely unawares. And for those of you who are feeling kind of isolated or feeling a little... Um, a little off kilter by exploring some of this stuff, uh, you know, the encouragement I would offer is, hang in there, you know, it's it's okay. There are lots of people who, who just aren't talking about these things, but are also thinking about them and aware of them. If you start asking people, there's a huge number of them that, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, I'm just saying if you were to, and if they were honest with you, many of them have stories like the ones that Brian shared. And Brian even mentioned, I, I have some of my own that I may or may not share sometimes because it's not it, it's not a, a contest to see you as the weirdest story. If it's not edifying, I don't want to share it. It's, it's dark, evil stuff. But the The point of it is that it's real and that it's affected many people's lives. And there's a lot of people out there who are wondering, and if we as a church can be armed to have these discussions, especially as this stuff gets more and more active, and and we all know, we can all feel in our spirits that it's ramping up right now, then there's a huge opportunity for the gospel because there's a desperate need for the truth of Christ to go out and for people to see the truth of Christ and to see that there is victory available in Christ and salvation available from Christ when they start to see how evil this stuff is. And at a time where we're seeing the headlines that we're seeing and, and we're seeing the, the ugliness of humanity as being directed by really, really dark spiritual forces, then there should be a, a, a particular contrast of the light in the world and people should be particularly drawn to that light. So that's uh, a, a lot of what I uh, had for tonight. I want to give the mic back over and get, let uh, Dan get a chance to say his final words. Uh, forgive us for the choppiness. I'm just saying now, I don't know how, how this is going to sound in post-production. There was... a a massive disruption, um, in the middle of this, I'll put it together the best I can. It's going to be kind of a weird choppy episode. There'll be some repetition. It'll be a little disjointed. Uh, but that this is what we have for tonight. And we appreciate the, the graciousness we have from you and the audience. And we hope there was something of value for you here. So Dan, go for it.
2: All right. So, you know, one of the big questions is, you know, why, why talk about this stuff? And, and Joel and Brian have both Hit on it, but you know, one of the reasons is that you know there's there's evil in the world that that is aware of the spiritual side and is active in it, right? There are people who are doing um, these these cult rituals, um, and there are people who are aware of of the importance of things like Saturn's reign and um, and, and it, 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 on the the back cover of of Derek Gilbert's book, The Second Coming of Saturn, he talks about how a new age began on December 21st, 2020, and it was the great conjunction, a meeting in the sky of the planets, Jupiter and Saturn, that heralded the age of of Aquarius, a new golden age ruled by Saturn. Okay. So there's, not that we give that a lot of credence, but there are people who do. And there are people who care about this stuff, who are looking at it like, oh, this is a great time to bring in uh, the old golden age. And there are people fighting for that and, and actively working to make that happen. And, you know, aware or not that the actual golden age is was horrific and was wiped out by the flood for, for good reason. And so... You know there's that whole spiritual battle side of it uh, another thing with with a book like this and a lot of these you know digging deeper into some of this these topics is it uh, it really helps helps us understand a lot of the bible even even more on a, on a deeper level uh, so for a few examples there's a lot of things that jesus did that you know, we just, we kind of know and, you know, we can see significance in them. And so we don't think too much more about it, but, but then when you, when you start to understand some of this background and some of these other gods and how they were worshiped and the, the kinds of things that were done, things like the, the transfiguration, like, you know, where Jesus was when he did it and, and, and what he did, and what it communicated, to you know, not only to his disciples, but it also sent a pretty powerful message to the watchers who are imprisoned. All right, um, Joel and Brian talked a little bit about the you know baptism and the act of spiritual warfare that is, and the message that's sending. Uh, even you you think about the act of taking communion, and he um, I don't remember if Derek. Gilbert gets into it in this book, um, but you know I've heard him talk before about you know the even the act of taking communion is uh, kind of a the the writing of of these some of these rituals they would do for the dead where they would bring um, food and and pour out drink offerings to the dead to try to get them, but now Jesus is instead of making it something you do for the dead. It's something you do to remember Christ and and true life, and and defeating death. Um, when you look at Jesus driving out demons, and he talks about how uh, when the demons they, they were terrified to be thrown into the abyss. Why is that? Well, because that's where their parents are. You know, the the watchers are imprisoned in the abyss, and the the demons don't want to be thrown down there. Um, even things like Jesus being raised on the third day, um, there's there's significance to the third day. There's, you know, significance to a lot of these locations in Israel, like the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. And so, you know, there's just so much of this stuff has so many more layers and so much more meaning to it. Um, and 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 one final thought is that uh, an acknowledgment that the, a lot of these things can be overwhelming right we we start talking about like um Kronos and the titans and and zeus and jupiter and saturn and we're like you know your head starts spinning You're like oh, wait a second all those all that old mythology and all those stories are real and, and, and you know one thing to keep in mind is that the characters are, are real, you know, they, their names change over time. That doesn't mean all the, the stories around them are true and accurate. You know, they don't have a history like the, like the Bible does of, of real history of, of God. But, you know, they're, they're communicating a story that's been passed down over, over thousands of years and and there's common threads in those so you know when we're saying that saturn is is real we're not saying every story about the roman god saturn is real um, but but the character is and so you know that these things can kind of create a paradigm shift that's a bit overwhelming and and it can be really easy to start thinking like oh my goodness i mean i've got to change everyone everything i think i mean everything i've think, thought was uh, was way off and expand my mind but and in some ways yes let's acknowledge that we still you know you start to learn this stuff you still don't have this we still don't have the slightest gr- grasp of uh, of how big all this stuff is and how much bigger the story is than than us and a, and what we're ever gonna understand. But at the same time, to remember that it's still so simple, right? That when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, his answer is still true, right? It's still, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? We're still called to follow Christ, None of the answers change to well, you know. Now, you know, if we're close to the end times, and now the greatest commandment is to to figure all this stuff out and get the right answers and be able to pass the test on ancient gods, right? the The foundation is still Christ, and that's still what we have to come back to. and And that stuff doesn't change. So, you know, as much as we we dig into this stuff. And, and it's fascinating to think about, and it uh, can even be helpful and beneficial to think about. Uh, ultimately, none of it has value if we don't always come back to Christ. And so uh, I will leave it there.
0: Great words. Thank you, Dan. Brian, any uh, closing thoughts?
1: No, I think I've talked enough for one podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of talk that, that we've done that didn't make it into the podcast as well. So, so we've been sitting here in front of our microphones for uh, at this point, a very long time. And uh, the podcast episode will not be nearly as long as we have because we've had to redo a lot. So, all right, I'll uh, I'll do the best I can with all this in post-production. And um, just uh, uh, dear listeners, we're, we're uh, really uh, honored to be able to discuss these things with you. We're honored for your participation in the uh, in the thread. We've got new people joining all the time. Please continue to take these episodes, share them, post them, send them to people. We're getting a lot of people telling us, publicly and privately, I'm so glad I have a place to learn about this. I'm so glad I have a place to go with these questions. I've wondered about this stuff my whole life and never been able to find any good teaching on it. There are good, There is good teaching, there are good resources. We're happy to recommend it. And we hope that, that Mystery Bible on is one of those places for you. We hope We hope it's nourishing, we hope it's edifying we recognize that people are in very different places with this stuff where we try to accommodate that the best we can. And we've seen the Lord's hand in this in really encouraging ways. So please do share, post, generate discussion, bring people in. We've seen the gospel work in powerful ways in people's lives, including some baptisms that are happening that we just found out about as a result of some of these kinds of themes that we've been talking about and how it really helped bring people back to the scripture and back to their relationship with Christ. So that's spiritual warfare. Speaking truth in well-informed biblical ways is really powerful, and you can do it too. It helps to have the background and have done the homework in it. So, thanks for hanging with us in this uh, what will probably turn out to be a, a particularly goofy and odd episode. Hopefully, there's some value in there for you. I know I've, I've enjoyed discussing these things. Not one single bit of this has gone to plan, but uh, we we know that the Lord's plan always trumps ours. So, let us know your thoughts and continue to press into Christ and press into your scripture and trust him as he leads you in that journey. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to the next episode.